happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday to you. It's the month of August. It's Sabrina's birthday. The ghost girl through and through. Oh, wait, that's so cute. <laughs> wow, really had to think on my feet right there because I started a different birthday song than usual, but I loved it's it. It's got to be extra special for you. Oh my gosh, thank you. So kind. I really thought you prepared that whole thing, like you had written it down, but you no. were just, you're an improv star. You know what? I can rhyme two words together and it makes it seem pretty impressive. It really is to me. What are you going to do for your B-Day? Oh God, Corinne, this, you've opened a can of worms. Oh no. <laughs> so lots of sad things happening and I'm not the only one that's dealing with this, but Due to the pandemic, Nick and I have had to move our wedding. We've also had to move my bachelorette, which was supposed to be Labor Day weekend and which is the weekend after my birthday. So I was like, okay, since I'm moving all of this stuff, like I really just want like a girl's weekend. Like I could hang out with like three friends, you know, we'll get COVID tested and we'll just do like a very small, tiny little thing. I want to sit by a pool and drink rosé. Like what more could I ask for? Nothing. That's all I want. And is that asking for too much? I didn't think so. So I booked an Airbnb in Palm Springs with this like beautiful pool. It was going to be like 100 degrees. It would fulfill all of my fantasies. And two days ago, I get an alert from Airbnb that my host has canceled our stay. What? Of all the Airbnbs in Palm Springs, this one, the one I chose, decided to cancel. And now two weeks before Labor Day weekend, all Palm Springs Airbnbs that are affordable are taken and booked oh no so i have no idea can you choose some random place that's not palm springs i have been looking at so many airbnbs and there's just it's just like because i want to be able to sit by a pool and like i want obviously a private pool just to like know that we can go and enjoy the time there right and not be nervous about like other people and did they get tested and blah 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 exactly and there's just nothing available Unless I want to spend $1,500 a night. And I don't. I really don't. (laughs) No. Oh, shoot. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's okay. So I'll just sit in my hot apartment. 2020, man. (laughs) You try to make plans and they always get canceled. It's been a year, hasn't it? But it's okay. So I think Nick and I might just do like, I don't know, something, make a picnic in our patio What about all of those places that do kind of, it's like a little glamping situation and they'll have like cold plunges and hot tubs and... I could do that. I'll look into that. I don't really want spiders on my birthday though. That's like... All right, then perhaps that was a a poor (laughs) suggestion. No, it was great. Anything's good now. I could just... I don't know, Corinne. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you can only laugh at this point because I just... I know. With, I mean... Birthday plans are the least of my worries. You know, there's so much to reschedule with our wedding and with I know everything else that... Well, when you when you had texted and you were like, are you free these dates in 2021? I was like, who has plans in 2021? <laughs> Tell me who has started to plan things. Like, I, I have not done anything. I have zero plans yeah. for the rest of my life. I am taking it day by day. Our wedding planner was like, well, 2021 is going to be the year of love because... Everyone's pushing their weddings. All of the COVID brides will be married. COVID brides. The COVID brides going down in history. Love it. Yeah. So uh, Halloween's canceled. My wedding's canceled. Halloween is not canceled. It lives in our hearts. That's true. It's it's a state of being, state of mind. It is. And I'm still going to dress up. No one can tell me that I can't. Maybe this is how my mom has always wanted me to wear her wedding dress 
I'll wear it on Halloween and be like, mom, I was supposed to get married today. Do you mind if I put fake blood all over your old wedding dress and walk around the streets? You should. You should. That's a great idea. I'm sure she'll say yes. I wouldn't do that to her. It's so funny. She like when she flew out here for the engagement party, she brought her wedding dress. And I was like, mom, I like I don't think I can use it. I don't really have time to go and find someone who can redo it. And like I kind of had already fallen in love with the dress, but she brought it anyway. And left it here. So now it's just sitting in my tiny apartment. That's over. so cute. Well, you have to you have to take a piece of it. You have to figure out how to. I want to. Yeah. To move some sort of part of it into your future dress. I'll figure it out. Yeah. <sighs> but yeah, that's my birthday. <laughs> well, at least we get to celebrate on the podcast for two weeks. That's true. That's how I'm celebrating. Thank you so much for bringing some optimism to my life. Your birthday's right in between episodes, August 26th. So we'll have this episode and we'll have a bunch of spooky Sabrina in mind picked. That wasn't a real sentence, but I caught what you were saying. Encounters for you. Thank you so much. Of course. Maybe that's what I should do. I should just like set up a little tent over our couch and watch scary movies all day. Oh, yes. I'll do it with you. We'll live stream. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great way to do it. Wait, okay, fun date night for anyone out there who's on the market for a good date night. And Nick and I did this on Friday. We 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 like to do movie nights and then theme the dinner around the movie. So we watched Ooh. So we chose to watch Silence of the Lambs. And oh, there is an infamous line. Wait, I just need to find out what it is to say it. Okay. The line is I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. So we took that line and we were like, let's make dinner be this line. So we bought some Chianti red wine and we made a fava bean pasta and Nick made like a liver pate for himself. And we had a themed dinner and then watched Signs of the Lambs. It was wonderful. I love that. (laughs) Oh my God, Sabrina, that's such a great idea. It was very fun. Also, you need to start chronicling these things. Like, I feel like that's the, you know how um, Nick Offerman and his wife, who I can't, cannot believe I'm forgetting her name right now, but they do puzzles together and then they dress up as the people. They like recreate the puzzle and then pose with their finished puzzle. I've never seen this. And they chronicle it on like Instagram. And you need to do this. You need to start an Instagram account or something. To blog about your movie and dinner pairings. Because I love it. I would be so invested in that. (laughs) I'll just send them to you because it seems like too much work to like. All right. And then I'll post them on Instagram. I'll I'll run your Instagram. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) Send them to me. That's a great idea. You'll be my business partner in another venture. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) You know what you just triggered, though, in in me? Perhaps a self-realization because... I have always hated lamb. I had it like twice and I Mm -hmm. think it tastes disgusting. (laughs) And I've always associated it with the taste of human. I've never had human. (laughs) And I always was like, hmm, maybe I was a cannibal in my past life or somehow was forced to eat a person. And so I'm getting these weird flashbacks. But I've always been like, I hate lamb because that is how I imagine humans to taste. And I wonder if I'm having some sort of association with Silence of the Lambs Mm. and eating people and that's how it has manifested in my that's in my brain very possible I, I i prefer that than in the past you've eaten human yeah me too <laughs> i was telling one of my friends my friend caitlin uh, here in boston about that my opinions on lamb 
And she said that she has similar opinions, but rather than comparing it to what humans may taste like, she said lamb tastes like if a chicken was only fed trash for their entire <laughs> life and then you ate that chicken. And I'm like, yes, that is true. A horrible way to describe it and emphasizes my desire to never eat meat. So thank yeah. you. Sabrina, I'm with you on this. If that were if that were the only offering, I would 100% go vegetarian. Yeah. I think I could go vegetarian. I just would miss seafood because I really do love seafood. I don't know why, but when you said go vegetarian, I just like kind of was thinking like, go lions, like as if it was like, <laughs> go vegetarians. <laughs> oh, this is two girls, one ghost. Oh, shit. <laughs> two girls, one ghost. See, this just proves that with 2020, all plans, everything goes out the window. (laughs) Nothing is the same. Live life how you want. Okay. Because it was Corinne's birthday, we had her pick an episode topic and we did like kind of an encounters for her. I feel like we didn't do it fully, but I'm so I apologize for that. But then for this episode, because it's for my birthday, we decided I get to pick the topic. Mm-hmm. And Corinne and I debriefed quickly after the last encounters that we recorded. And Corinne was like, so what do you want to do? And I was like, something terrifying. I want nightmares for a week. <laughs> and so then I very broadly just picked the term scary as a topic. <laughs> so I'm very excited to be scared. Okay, good. Well, dang, I really hope this scares you. <laughs> It takes okay. very little to scare us. I think that <laughs> that has yeah. been proven over the years. I tried to pick a topic that was enough tailored to you, and I hope it's spooky, but I chose the gates of hell in Clifton, New Jersey. Oh my God. Jersey. I Well, the, the sound of it sounds scary. I'm excited. If you picture yourself in the caves, it, it is scary. Okay. Okay. So in Clifton, New Jersey, there's a series of of large underground tunnels and storm sewers. The network of tunnels is long. It's disorienting. It could be quite dangerous. Not only are the tunnels interconnected and it's easy to get lost down there, but uh, it also floods quite easily and, and very quickly when water comes through. But this doesn't seem to stop those who are curious or perhaps those with nefarious intent from entering these tunnels. For it is said that if you journey deep enough into the tunnels, you will find a portal, a portal to the underworld. And this is the gates of hell. That's so Jersey. So Jersey. The gates of hell, the Jersey devil. You've got a whole lot of, it's all about Satan and and (laughs) demons and fire and whatnot. The state animal is basically just the devil. I think it is. And this might make sense as to why you have the interests that you do. (laughs) It might. (laughs) The tunnels are dark, they're wet, they're foreboding, and almost immediately after entering, you are shrouded in complete darkness. There's not one smidgen of light. You cannot see, but the things lurking in the cave can see you. Yes, they can! Some believe the entire network of tunnels not only leads to hell, but is also an earthly lair for the devil. So perhaps he doesn't just stay behind the door of the portal, but he actually moves about this tunnel system, this rainwater system, and will find you. It's also believed that there are seven layers to the tunnel system and that the deeper you go, the closer you get to him, to Satan. So to get to the gates, it's actually pretty difficult. 
You have to cross over a set of train tracks, and on the other side of the tracks, you have to make your way down this very steep hill, basically slide yourself down and try not to eat shit on the way. (laughs) And at the bottom of the hill, you'll find a drainage tunnel that will lead you to the gate. And then there, there's about a 10-foot drop to get right in front of the entrance. And the tunnels are old. They stand eight feet high. They have arched stone ceilings. They have cobblestone paths. So it sounds actually quite beautiful. But remember, it's completely dark. Wow. And the entrance to the tunnels is this rectangular, big, large entrance. It almost looks like it was designed to have a set of gates there. So it makes sense that it's the gates to hell. Mm. The tunnel system was built as a drainage runoff for a stream called Weaselbrook. And while there is usually a small amount of water, if sudden or heavy rain hits, the tunnels fill and the water moves quite dangerously, making this an easy place to drown if you aren't careful. But people are still very tempted to explore the tunnels. And many people have ventured down there. Maybe it's the excitement of exploring something unknown, the joy of scaring yourself, or the possibility of meeting Satan himself. But for years, people have disregarded the danger the horror stories of the explorers that came before them, and they enter these tunnels. And while it can be assumed that most people don't go in too far, because I know myself, I would probably go 10 feet, and as soon as I wouldn't be able to see, I'd turn right around. Yes, you would. (laughs) Yes, I would. You would go further, and I would stop and yell, don't leave me! (laughs) But there are some people who have gone further, and there are some people who are rumored to have never returned once going deep down inside. Eek. But those who went further into the tunnels and were lucky enough to come out alive have some stories to tell. So when you enter the tunnel, everything in your body is going to tell you to turn around. The hair on your neck will stand up. Your heart will start racing. And if trusting your gut isn't enough, you will shine your flashlight on the walls and continue down in. And you may see ominous graffiti that says things like 666 or one... Inscribed graffiti says, this way to where the children are buried. Oh, oh my gosh. There are dead, decaying animals that people have come across. There's inverted pentagrams, upside down crosses. You might bring your new phone with you and the battery will drain almost immediately. And then you're left with only your flashlight and your wits. And as you go further, the graffiti turns to Latin. Latin words and phrases taking up the entire sides of the walls written in what seems to be a brush instead of spray paint. And then 50 feet further into the tunnels, you will reach slow running water and pathways that fork. So you have the choice to go left or to go right. And if you continue, you may be one of the lucky or perhaps unlucky ones to come across a secret room. The room is never in the same place and it cannot be found twice, but it's said that if you're able to find the room, you yourself must have some sort of power or some sort of spiritual strength that allows you to lift these axes that are blocking the door. And ordinarily, to a normal person who comes across them, it would be of inhuman strength to be able to remove them. They are, no matter if you're the strongest bodybuilder in the world, you would never be able to lift these. But certain people are chosen to notice the door and to be able to, with ease, remove the barriers And once they go inside and unblock this door, inside of the secret room is a dungeon. And inside of that dungeon is a human skull sitting right there in the middle. This is so cool. But it's also very Harry Potter-like because, oh my god, Corinne, thank you. You chose this because it has so many 
great elements. But it reminds me of the room of requirement. But it's crazy to me that it doesn't ever appear in the same places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't go back and show your friends after you found it once. That's so crazy. I don't know if it moves or if it just chooses to show itself to certain people at certain times. But it's said that you'll never find it twice if you do find it at all. Okay, I'm very intrigued. Kind of want to find it. I'm not going there with you. (laughs) (laughs) It's believed that satanic rituals occur in the cave and that perhaps maybe this accounts for some of the strange encounters because people have reported animal bones, decaying animals, evidence of rituals, awful, foul, sulfuric smells, strange noises coming from deeper in the cave. And now while I'm like, okay, this would feel like the easier thing to do, to just simply chalk it up to a group of people who've gone further in than you, who have a relationship with the darkness, and who are performing some type of ritual. But my question for you, for you, Sabrina, and for all of you unidentified people who have never been to this cave and are listening and saying, why does she keep saying you and directing this at me? I've never been. Perhaps I have been. Perhaps we have a listener who has. Yes, this is for you, that one listener. My question is, how do you know that these bones and these markings and these signatures of something darker were left behind by the living? That would be the thing that you'd probably want after learning what other people have experienced here. Perhaps a few people have wandered in and performed some sort of ritual, but based on a few encounters that were reported to Weird New Jersey and were provided on Reddit by people who've been into the tunnels, it seems that the gates of hell really do belong to the dead. So I found a story on Reddit by a man who found out about the Gates of Hell in the later 2000s, and his username has since been deleted. He doesn't have his account anymore, so I'm going to name him Geraldo. That's what we're going to call him. Love it. So it was summer, and he and three of his friends decided, after learning about the Gates of Hell, to go check it out. So they went during the day, and they were like, ooh, this is cool. Let's go back and explore at night. Let's really get ourselves freaked out. So... Later on, they make a plan to return, and on the night that they choose to return, they bring a flashlight, they bring proper exploring clothes, they're ready to, like, get on their hands and knees and go through any small tunnels. They're really ready to get dirty and just, like, go as far in as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. And the four men, they set out, it's 11 p.m., and they walk about a mile from where they parked their car to the tunnel entrance. And they all agreed that night that the tunnels looked much more ominous than they did when they were visiting during the day, and they really didn't have a good feeling about it. But still, they proceeded through the gate and into the tunnel. You gotta trust your gut. Trust your gut. So once they entered, they passed the area that had all of the graffiti, they get to the area of the tunnel that has all of the Latin writing that seems to be painted, and they notice that there are new inscriptions that were added in Latin from the time that they had been there last, which was not long ago. They were fresh markings. And so all the guys are feeling quite uncomfortable with this discovery, but they're like, okay, it's fine. It's fine. Things happen. People graffiti, people write stuff. Let's just keep continuing on. No, you guys. So they go into the section of the tunnel where the water runs and the tunnel splits. And you have to choose here. Do you go left or do you go right? And the men were standing there. They were debating which way to go. When something caught Geraldo's eye, and he raised his flashlight to that spot, and the four men turned and stare at what he found. It was a drawing on the side of the tunnel. It was very red, it was extremely detailed, and it depicted a goat's head. Very demonic. 
And this drawing really freaked them out because they'd done so much research prior to going. They were checking all of the forums. They were reading everything, talking to people, trying to figure out exactly what they would see and and what things looked like inside of the tunnels, really preparing themselves. And this depiction of the goat had never appeared in anybody else's stories or any reports that they'd read. This freaked them out. And the conversation turned away from, are we going left or are we going right to, hey, should we go back to the car? Should we just leave? And they have a really bad feeling about this. But in the end, after talking, they decide, you know what? We drove an hour to get here. We came to get spooked. A painting on the wall is not going to be the end of our night. Let's just keep going. And so they choose to go right. This is the part of the movie where everyone's like yelling, no, you dummies, turn around. dummies, don't go up the stairs, go outside. (laughs) They only get five steps to the right. And then the group of men stop again because they hear something. It's chanting. It's singing. It's a woman's voice in this pattern, this rhythmic singing that came from about 100 feet down the tunnel. And Geraldo had said if they had walked 100 feet down the tunnel, he believed that he truly would have seen. They would have seen where the noise was coming from. But that was it. In the moment, they were like, holy crap. They were so scared. The guys wanted absolutely nothing to do with whoever or whatever was making that noise. They turned around, they sprinted out of the tunnel, they ran far from the gate, and when they finally stopped and caught their breath, and were like, oh my god, did you hear that? Yes, did you hear that? Yes, and talked about what they all heard, you would think that this would have been the end of the night for the guys. But after discussing, they felt like maybe they didn't really have a clear read on what it was, maybe they were just on edge because they were already spooked, and it was just an echo coming from somewhere else. Nope. So they decide to go back in. (laughs) Oh, God. Before they reach the fork, before they get to even choose whether to go left or right, the chanting resumed. And instead of running, the men decide, all right, let's figure out what this actually is. They turn off their flashlights. They stand there in darkness and silence right next to each other, listening, trying to decipher what they are hearing. Is it water? Is it an animal? Is it a car that's driving overhead? What is it? And to their horror... It was definitely a woman singing. And the chanting remained constant, rhythmic, and distinctly female. And then after two minutes of listening, they turn on their lights. They kind of motion to one another like, all right, let's let's go. We've had enough. It definitely is something nefarious. And as they turned, another voice joined the female voice. It seemed deeper, seemed male, and it matched the female's melody perfectly. And the group decided now, we can't run. There's obviously something down here. If we run, if we make noise, if we alert anything, we will probably be in deep trouble. And so they quietly and slowly make their way back to the entrance as to not alert whatever is in the tunnel of their presence. But it seems that the voices already knew that they were there because as soon as the group made it back to the main tunnel, the second they stepped into the main tunnel, together, the chanting stopped cold. What? And that was the experience of those four men. And similarly, a man named Ralph, he first heard of the Gates of Hell when he was 16 and he heard about it from one of his friends. And together they decided to find the tunnel and to explore. And it took some time for Ralph and his friend to find the entrance because it's it's pretty hidden. It's hard. In the beginning, I was describing like you have to go over the train tracks and down a hill and all this stuff. And then when you actually do get to the tunnel entrance, it's somewhat shrouded, almost hidden by tree cover. And as... They stood at the entrance looking in. Ralph's stomach dropped and fear kicked in and he fought his fear, which was screaming at him to run. He said that he felt the evil, but that maybe 
he had heard the stories of the tunnels before, so perhaps it was just those stories that were influencing him. So Ralph and his friend decided to enter, and he and his friend descended into the tunnels, and it was quiet and entirely encased in darkness. And they continue to walk now deeper into the tunnel when they hear something. They hear some strange knocking nearby, and this sound sent them flying for the entrance. And once out of the tunnel, Ralph's friend told him that he had heard whispering, and it was chanting. But it was in this hushed, whispery, light voice coming from deeper into the tunnel following those knocks. So while Ralph and his friend made it out of the tunnel, there is a spirit who is believed to stop a lot of people from even entering the gates of hell. Wait, okay, I'm so glad to hear that because this place sounds terrifying. It is, and I'm not so sure if this is a good or bad spirit, but this spirit is called Red-Eyed Mike, and he's said to guard the tunnel. So a man named Jeff, he had been to the gates of hell multiple times. He goes there often. I don't know why, but he keeps going back and exploring He had been down there near the entrance many times, but witnessed something strange one time that he believes might have been red-eyed Mike. So he was once there, and near the entrance, he saw a small human-shaped figure about three feet tall run out of the tunnel towards Weaselbrook Park with superhuman speed. Whoa. And upon telling other people what he saw, he learned that he'd likely seen or likely had an encounter with Mike, red-eyed Mike who is also believed to spend some time in the tunnel rather than just near the entrance. So whether he's a good or a bad spirit, that's up for debate. On one hand, he's scaring people away from the potentially dangerous tunnel system. But on the other hand, he seems to embody some of the characteristics of an evil presence. So his eyes are red. He moves at inhuman speed. He's small. He's dark. He looks like a shadow figure. If you read the other descriptions of him, it's very possible that this is a shadow person. And it's said that this shadow person, or red-eyed Mike, responds to knocks of three. So if you go to the railroad ties right above the entrance, and you knock three times, or do a series of knocks, but three in succession, you will hear a loud horn sound from within the tunnel. And Jeff, who saw red-eyed Mike, has also been witness to this horn sound. He's been to the tunnel so many times, and so he's seen a lot of the things that other people have seen. He said not every single time, but a good amount of the times that he's been with people who have knocked or he himself has knocked, the tunnel will emanate the sound of a horn that's seemingly deep within the system. He's also witnessed rocks being thrown from the tunnel by an unseen force, presumably Mike. So rocks will just be picked up and chucked out of the entrance at whoever is looking in, thinking about going in. But where the rock is coming from, there's absolutely nobody there. It makes me think that Mike, Red Eye Mike, was like one of these kids like Ralph and Geraldo who Mm. ventured in thinking it would be fun and like didn't listen to his gut and kept going deeper and deeper and deeper and is one of those people who never made it out alive and maybe became Satan's servant and now is like one probably terrified of the devil and is like wants to scare people away but also knows that the devil's watching him and he's supposed to bring people in and like right be this scary server for satan i don't know no i think you're right because it also makes sense because this spot is a popular spot for like teenagers to go similar to like emily's bridge in vermont 
like it's a big spot for teenagers to go and kind of spook themselves. And then also if this was perhaps a teenage boy or a young person who had gone into the cave and and somehow stumbled upon Satan and was scared of him, it would make sense that this spirit spends a lot of time by the entrance of the cave instead of deep, deep within it. You know, like wanting to be by the light, wanting to be by other people, wanting to be just close enough to escaping while knowing that they'll never truly be able to leave. (sighs) Something like, I think it's Leia, but like my bed just like shook. And I think Leia like hit something underneath our bed, but I feel very unsettled. Oh no. (laughs) It's creepy. All right. Well, as my closing statement, has anyone ever made it all the way through the seven layers of tunnels to the gate of hell? Perhaps that's where those who never resurface ended up. We may never know, but we can only hope that if you do choose to explore the tunnels, that the devil will show you mercy. And that is the gates of hell in Clifton, New Jersey. Scary. Spooky. Yeah, I definitely don't want to go. I don't know, but then I kind of do. Well, here's the thing. If you go and you just make it 50 feet in to where you get to turn left and right, and you get real spooked and whatever, and you turn around right there, I think that's a great spook. You know, you're one, you're going down one little alleyway and you can turn around and be safe. But I think if you choose to turn left or you choose to turn right and you go deeper in, that's when you're really going to be in trouble because you're so far down into darkness. You're also where the water runs off Mm -hmm. and you could easily get lost. Not to mention what the hell was already down there, like paranormal-wise or animal-wise or what have you. I know, but then I like want to know, I want to get to the bottom of it. Like I want, okay, it doesn't have to be me, but I want someone to give me a map of the cave system and get to the tunnel or the gates to hell and like map it all out. You should strap a GoPro to a rat. Oh my gosh. Send it down in. That would actually be really interesting, especially in like the New York subway system or san francisco or like one of the cities that has a big rat population and rats that are bigger than their cats yeah and just see like what do they do what do they see what do they experience that would be really interesting i wonder if someone's done that i feel like that has to be thought of maybe oh speaking of rats this is gross but (laughs) i don't mind rats but i know a lot of other people do i don't mind them either i think they're cute i understand that they have a lot of diseases i'm not going to touch one but yeah i once as a sorry (laughs) before I know you're about to go into a story, but (laughs) (laughs) speaking of rats, when I was growing up, there were like these little baby rats that their mom ran away. And so I tried to save them and they all died. It was very sad. No! Oh, that's so sad. And then I think they like, I can't remember, we looked it up and like there was a specific kind of milk that they like needed, which is like not milk that humans ever really drink. And then they all passed away and we just had this like gross animal milk that no one would ever drink in our fridge. Oh, that's so sad. At least you tried and you did the research and you you found some of the nutrients that they they needed. I got to stick to cats. Anyway, sorry, that was a dumb story. What did you have to say? No, that's not a dumb, that's not, (laughs) you want to hear a dumb story? Wait until you hear what I was going to (laughs) say. I don't know what is happening in Boston, but I think because there's way fewer people in the city, given that people are just moving out of it due to the pandemic, wildlife is acting strangely. And I was walking through the public garden, which if you walk through it at night, you'll oftentimes see rats like dart between bushes Mm -hmm. and and trees, but I don't normally see them during the day. And I walked through and I saw a robin, a baby bunny, and a rat hanging out together playing. Wait, 
is that weird or what? This is amazing. Yes. And I was like, that is bizarre. And me and my friend, Caitlin, we kept walking. And then we looked to our left like 10 feet later. And there was another rat and bunny like just sitting in the grass together. They're just friends. This is like on par with me realizing that dolls actually come to life when you're not there. Like, I feel like (laughs) I just want to catch it in the act. And I feel like you've caught animals being friends in the act. I'm like, what is this behavior? Why did you have to hide your friendship before? (laughs) Could this not have been public? I don't understand. We accept you and your friendship. We do. We love it. We're here for it. And we're going to talk about it on a podcast. (laughs) And now a word from the rabbit. We spoke to them and they're here to tell their side of the story. (laughs) So dumb. What's happened? They're mic'd up. They're waiting in the other room. Let's bring them in. You know, we never really bring guests onto our show, but we felt like this was worth it. (laughs) Everyone really wanted to hear from the rabbit. Um, We're still working on getting the rat, but we'll let you know. It's hard. His PR is like, you've done enough bad press. We can't risk another another oopsie. (laughs) Who says you have nothing to talk about during a pandemic? You can make shit up like this. This is great. Make your own fun. Ooh, what did you pick? So I was very excited when I found this one because I felt like both with this kind of being our three-year anniversary episode and with my birthday episode, When I stumbled upon this one, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do it because it looks exactly like, well, not exactly like, it reminds me of the Stanley Hotel, which is the very first thing that we chose to cover or one of the very first. And it was like scary and fun. I think it was the first one that you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I said one of because it wasn't both of us did it. I did Hotel Portsmouth and you did Stanley Hotel. So as I was searching scariest nightmare inducing haunts, I stumbled upon an image of the Banff Springs Hotel and I felt like it was destiny because it looked eerily alike to the Stanley Hotel and I got so jazzed about it and I had to do research on it. And also as a bonus in high school, someone left a sweatshirt that said like Banff Canada at our house and I like totally took over it and made it my own and it's my favorite (laughs) comfy sweatshirt. If it wasn't 90 degrees out right now, I'd probably be wearing it. But I have no idea. I didn't know anything about Banff except for like how beautiful it was. And I was like, well, I guess this is time for me to finally learn about it and educate myself and know more about it. So what better way to do that than research one of its famous haunts? So Banff Springs Hotel. It's in Alberta, Canada. It's located within the Rocky Mountains mountain range and sits 4,639 feet above sea level. It's surrounded by pristine wilderness, snow-capped mountains, crystal blue lakes and hot springs. The scenery is so majestic and this castle-like structure stands grand and very imposing against the land. It's the type of place you see and think, yep, that place has got ghosts. And it does. It really, really does. So the hotel was originally built in 1888 as a part of Canada's Grand Railway Hotels. So basically like along the railway, they would have all these like gorgeous hotels for people to stay at and like wanted to expand Canada's like vacation dreamy places to go. So the original hotel was a wooden structure not far from the Pacific Railway Station. It was intended to be a relaxing spot for visitors to escape and enjoy the vistas and the natural hot springs. But the original architect made one major mistake. He built it backwards. So instead of the front of the house facing the vista and like overlooking this beautiful lake, it was the back facing that way. So he like basically when construction began, they reversed the blueprints. And 
So it was just like a backwards place, which was very funny to me. What a bummer. What a bummer. But unfortunately, and also kind of fortunately, in 1926, the original building was destroyed in a fire. So they had a second chance. And the second time they rebuilt the structure, they corrected the architect's mistake and built it facing this beautiful vista, which is the now the building that it is now. And also when they reconstructed it, they were like, we can't let this thing burn down again. They originally built it for like $200,000. But then they were like, this place is gorgeous. It's going to be around forever. Let's invest. Let's build this up properly. So they spent $2 million building this structure in stone to be very similar to a castle. And it had these like gorgeous 11 story towers kind of sporadically throughout the castle. And it's stunning. It's a beautiful, beautiful hotel, truly majestic, like up on the mountain. If you look up photos, there's some of it with like in the middle of the winter and the snow is just like completely coated the castle. And it truly looks, it really looks like the hotel in The Shining. It's so pretty. Oh, so pretty. And super eerie. And I love it. I'm in. So when it was refinished in the 1930s, it was the tallest building in all of Canada. And it became known as the Castle of the Rockies and had become a favorite vacation spot for celebrities like Marilyn Monroe. The royal families would visit it and artists and novelists. All these people would go and visit this place to enjoy a vacation because it was so stunning. And similar to the Stanley Hotel, Banff Springs Hotel shut down every winter, leaving it eerily empty and alone atop the mountains. And it wasn't until 1968 that the building underwent a winterization process and then was able to stay open all year round. And today it's owned by the Fairmont Hotels and Resorts. So, you know, it's a nice place to stay. It's a five star Mm -hmm. hotel. You fancy. Oh, yeah. Fairmont. So nice. Yeah. But their soap smells so good. (laughs) I know. It's like you walk into those hotels and you just get the scent. Smells Yes. Uh, It includes event spaces, conference places. If you want to get married, if you're looking to get married or or like moving your wedding and you need a new venue in 2021, I'm telling you, this place is gorgeous. I wish I knew about it before. Not that I would get married there, but it's so pretty. I would consider it. You could do your birthday there. (laughs) Fly out. I actually did look at pricing for it's expensive. They have many restaurants, a bowling alley, tennis courts, a swimming pool, a golf course, a garden, a premier spa, a pool. They have everything. It's so stunning. And they claim to have 757 rooms and suites for their guests, but there are actually 758. But what happened to that mysterious extra room? I'll tell you. I will tell you. So this ghost story begins with a tragedy. It starts with a family of three checking into Banff Springs Hotel, a father, a mother, a daughter, there for a beautiful family vacation. They checked in, and they were given the key to the room 873. They were supposed to be on a family vacation in this beautiful location. It was supposed to be good for them to get away. But something terrible happened. We don't know what set the father off, but something did, and he tragically murdered his wife, his daughter, and then turned the weapon on himself. After the devastating familicide, the hotel continued to allow guests to stay in room 873, but then guests started reporting hearing shrieks and screams and seeing figures in their room in the middle of the night. And some even saw mysterious streaks of blood appear on the walls or in the carpet, and maids who were charged with cleaning the room complained of bloody fingerprints on the bathroom mirror. 
And no matter how hard they scrubbed or how many chemicals they would put on the mirror, the bloody fingerprints wouldn't come off. It's so sad. And these reports and hauntings continued and they became so frequent that the hotel made a decision to board up the room, wiping it from existence. That's so creepy. I know. I know. I don't know what it is about like secret rooms or hidden rooms or boarded up walls that are so interesting to me. Well, it's because like you can never truly get rid of it. You know, like the stain and the energy remains just because you board it up or just because you knock down the walls and turn it into a hallway doesn't mean that anything is stopping. Exactly. And point proven because it didn't stop the encounters. And even today, hotel representatives assert that the murder suicide never happened and that there never was a room 873 at Banff Springs. But that's just their position because I doubt the Fairmont wants to be known that they have lots of hauntings and that's like their thing. They want to cover it up. Oh, yeah. And also hotel staff have whispered otherwise. They say their room did exist, but they're not allowed to say anything more because they're afraid of losing their jobs. And some guests have done their own detective work to try to prove that the room does and did exist. And according to them, every other floor on in the building that has like a normal layout of a floor has a room ending in the number 73, except for the eighth floor. And it goes like, basically it jumps over 873. There's an 875 and there's an 874 and there's an 872, but there's no 873. And Furthermore, when you visit the eighth floor, there's a spot in which it appears like a door used to be. And when you tap on the walls beside it, it sounds hollow as if a room sits dormant and empty behind the wall. So if you're still not convinced, many people have also seen the spirit of a young girl standing in that very same spot by the place where it looks like a door was boarded up. And she appears to be lost looking for her hotel room door, but it's no longer there. And a lot of guests have tried to approach her and offer to help her, and she'll simply stare at them, and then, poof, she disappears. Oh. So it's believed that she's the daughter of the family who tragically was murdered. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. And I'm all for this boarded-up room. I totally believe it, and I also totally believe a hotel would do that and cover it up. Well, of course. What other reason is there that there's they just skip a number? Right. Yeah. It's They're covering it up. It's there. Another rumored haunt is that of the ghost bride. Her tale, too, starts with tragedy. It was the night of her wedding. It was meant to be this perfect day, the beginning of the rest of her life with her handsome beau. But as she descended the marble staircase that led down into the main hall, she lost her footing. And some say her shoe got caught in the netting of her gown. Others say her gown caught a blaze after slipping over a lit candle. Either way, the bride fell down the stairs, tumbling head over feet, down, down the stairs, and she snapped her neck and died. Ooh. What was meant to be a beautiful beginning became a tragic, tragic ending, and her spirit remains in the hotel. And as a footnote to this story, which I think goes very well with the story of room 873, is I found a comment on a blog post from a past employee of the hotel who noted that the accident actually occurred on a different stairwell, not the one that led into the main hall, but one that led from the honeymoon suite into the dining room. And after this happened, those stairs were closed off and basically boarded up the same way room 873 was. And no one was allowed to go on those stairs. No one can even find those stairs anymore because people were having so many encounters with paranormal on the stairs after the event. 
This is like the perfect example of just putting a Band-Aid on it. Exactly. Not actually fixing it, not actually really addressing it, just slapping up a wall and and saying, it's good, we're good, we're fine. And also I feel like, granted, I think all of these spirits are not evil, like that's tragic, but I feel like if you trapped an evil spirit, you could only, you would aggravate it, you know? Like putting a wall up probably makes things worse in many situations. Like with your feelings, you can't keep them in. You can't bottle it up. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you need to talk to someone? <laughs> but so this guy who posted on the blog also said that people would report hearing laughter, crying, screaming in that area. And all employees at the hotel were told not to tell guests anything about the, in quotes, ghost situation at the hotel. I think this story, his this guy's experience of working in the hotel proves that 873 that room did most definitely exist and so even though the employees are told not to discuss the situation the ghosts speak for themselves or appear the ghost bride has been seen throughout the hotel she's seen descending other stairs in the hotel many have heard a loud scream when walking along in the same manner that she did which perhaps is a residual haunting but i don't know and then her spirit has also been seen in the ballroom And her spirit has become so famous and renowned throughout Canada that she even has her own Canadian postage stamp and collector's coin. Like, Are you kidding? I love Canada. Same. And this is the second story, Canadian story, that the ghosts were featured on stamps. So this ghost bride and then the phantom ship of Northumberland Strait. I love Canada. Do we ask them if it's okay if we move there? (laughs) (laughs) Do we ask them if it's okay? Hello. Question for you, please. (laughs) Please let me in. So, I mean, it doesn't get any better. What more could you want? Maybe more ghost stories, which I have. So, the third most known ghost at Banff Springs Hotel is that of bellman Sam McCauley. Sam McCauley was a Scottish man who worked as a bellman at Banff Springs Hotel, and he loved it so much that on his deathbed, he told his loved ones where they could find him once he passed. He looked at his family and goes... When I die, I will be at the Banff Springs Hotel. So if you want to see me again, come visit me there. So Sam McCauley passed away in 1975, and he followed through with what he told his family because he haunts Banff Springs Hotel. I hope he left them some money to pay for those (laughs) hotel rooms. My God. I know. I love to think that his family goes to visit him at the hotel. Even if they don't have to stay there, they just go for the day and walk around. Sam's just hanging with them. They go for his birthday, for yeah. Christmas, oh, like how all, sweet. All, the, all the milestones. But so, yeah, Sam McCauley is there at the hotel and he's responsible for many of the interactive haunts that take place there. So oftentimes before you press the elevator call button, the button will light up on its own. The elevator doors will open and close for you before you can do anything. And lights will turn on and off by themselves, but not in a scary way, more in a I'm lying in bed and really should turn the lights off to go to sleep, but I'm too lazy to get up kind of way. And then all of a sudden the lights will turn off for you. And it's so sweet. So if it does happen and you do stay there, be sure to say thank you, Sam, because that's all the tip he needs. He just loves his job. He loves being at that hotel. That's so sweet. I love that. Some people report being helped by an elderly man in an antiquated looking bellman uniform And when asked what he looked like, everyone says he was a Scottish man and then described Sam to a T. What a lovely little man. Love him. A lovely little man. 
Oh, I just love old people. I know. And I just like... Just precious. I feel like there are too many places that I love that I'd want to haunt, but I don't know that I could pick one. And I just love that he was so sure of himself. He was like, I want this. I'm going to do this. He knew what he wanted. Yeah. And that's very respectable. Yeah. Uh, so while those are the three major hauntings at Banff Springs Hotel, there are also many other spirits who wander the halls. There's a ghostly bartender who patrols for intoxicated guests and will give a nice little nudge to guests when he thinks they're too drunk. And he'll just whisper into their ear and say, hey, don't you think it's a time to call tonight? Oh, gosh, I wish I had that in my ear. Where were you? My whole life. <laughs> my whole life. <laughs> I love that. What a great guy. What a what a like sweet way to say. I think think it's time to wrap it up. I am now realizing that I didn't truly follow through with my own request for really scary because a lot of these ghosts are quite nice. They're quite nice. They're quite nice. It's just a fun story. Yeah. And it's 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 spooky. It's filled with hidden rooms, trapped rooms, a lot of death, but then also it's juxtaposed by all of these sweet, caring, empathetic spirits. Lovely ghosts. And there's also another ghost who is headless, apparently. It's a headless man who is known to play the bagpipes, which befuddles me because how can a man without a head and no mouth play the bagpipes? I don't know. Do you know? But he does. He does it because he's a magical ghost at this magical, beautiful palace overlooking the beautiful crystal blue lakes of Banff, Canada. And I will go. I want to go. Let's go. Do you think it's really just the the bellman and he <laughs> he's really just leaning into his Scottish descent and he's like, you know what? Some days I feel like playing the bagpipes, but it was a secret talent of mine and so i'm gonna hide my face while i do it oh oh that's a fun little theory it's like a forbidden passion wow i'm so into that okay and so to wrap this up there are a few stories from guests and employees of the hotels and as i was researching i found a website called taximike.com and i think mike is a skeptic but what he does is he collects emails from people about certain places and haunts around the world and then post them on his site. So I'm very glad and grateful for him. Maybe one day he'll be convinced. I don't know. Mike, listen to our podcast. So one man named Dan submitted his experience in January of 2018. And he said he worked two summers at the hotel from 79 to 80. And a veteran housekeeper told him that she had seen a wandering bride go in and out of vacant rooms on many occasions. A waiter told him that he had seen chairs moving in the dining room by themselves and one night, he himself was walking through an employee tunnel and heard steps behind him. But when he turned around, no one was there. A woman named Carol wrote to Mike in 2017 after she had a strange experience in room 321. She wrote that one night she woke up to someone playing with her feet. And she was very confused, but didn't have her contacts Ooh. in. And with her blurry vision, she was unable to decipher any person at the edge of her bed and still to this day has no idea who was playing with her feet. No, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of creepy. Keep your feet in the sheets. Always. There are a lot of other submissions if people want to go look at taximike.com. But the last one I'll read is from Lisa. She wrote that it's been a couple of years since she stayed at the Banff Springs Hotel, but she wanted to share one particular experience she had there. When she first arrived at the hotel, she didn't know anything about it being haunted. In fact, one of her first memories at the hotel was of her passing a bellman who was in a hurry. It wasn't until later that evening when they were leaving for dinner and going through the front doors 
that she made the connection that the bellman that she saw earlier that day was wearing completely different attire from the other bellmans who were now at the front door. The bellman she had seen was wearing a green jacket with gold embellishments, and he was also wearing the stereotypical bellman's hat with the matching color. He was holding brown luggage when he raced past her, and it wasn't until months later that she made the connection of what she had potentially witnessed. She found a photo from the 1960s of Banff Springs Hotel and of the bellman who worked there, and she saw the exact same outfit and the exact same man in the photo. And it was Sam McCauley, who had passed away 20 years prior. Wow. How freaky for her to to see it and not think anything of it. So it's like, it's a good encounter because you're not spooked. You're just taking note of something that's happening. And then later to be like, oh my God, I saw a ghost. I saw a ghost. And you have proof of who he is, what he did, his story. I know. You know it all. It's like you're going on vacation to go see these beautiful lakes, and then you go home having seen the lakes and also seeing a ghost. You get way more than you bargained for. I love it. Oh my gosh. So great. So that is Banff Springs Hotel in Alberta, Canada. And yeah, I'm down to go. I will go there with you. Okay. That is one on the list that I will agree to. You won't go to the gates of hell, which I don't blame you. No. But you'll come to Banff with me. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Catch me chatting with Sam. Oh, I will. I'm sure the two of you will get along great. Oh, yeah. And then we can drink at the bar later. And no fear of getting too drunk because you got a ghost looking out for you. No, I'll never make a fool of myself. (laughs) Not with the spirits who have my back there. Uh, That's awesome. And we can go on like little... Sunset walks around the property and listen to bagpipes. This place sounds great. Yeah. Also very spooky if you if you think about the first half of it filled with murders and sudden deaths and hidden rooms and trapped stairwells. Yes, it definitely does have its spooks, but I, I like the fact that while there was tragedy at the hotel, the haunts themselves, the spirits themselves aren't negative or bad energy. Agreed. Because you don't need bad energy in your life. No, you don't. You just need to live your life, enjoy every moment, and just say goodbye to the haters. Goodbye to the bad energy. Okay, what's your listener story? Hockey dokey. This is from Elle, and I picked it because she lives near the Clifton Road area in New Jersey. So, she's nearby. She could totally go, but I hope she doesn't, and I hope she hasn't been. But if, if you have, Elle, let us know. All right. Hello, ladies and feline. First, I'd like to tell you ladies how much I love your podcast. You guys keep me company as I cook and clean, all while Leia keeps my cat Penny company with her little meows. I'll start by saying that being Spanish and hearing stories about Santeria, I've always been open to the idea of paranormal, worldly spirits and such. I've lived in Jersey since I was 13 years old, I'm 29 now, and living in Bergen County. I frequently visited the Devil's Tower in Clifton Road. Oh. So anyway, a friend of mine during the high school days lived on a street called Dick Street. No, I'm not kidding. (laughs) Not long after moving in, weird things started to happen. While home, completely alone and showering, my friend at the time said that she was washing her hair, closed her eyes to rinse her hair, and when she opened them, she looked through the curtain and saw a black shadow standing outside of the shower. That is one of my greatest fears biggest fear. She said she thought that it could be her sister who might have come home early for work, but when she called out her sister's name, she got no answer. So she freaked out. She pulled the curtain open to see who was there, and the shadow vanished. Nope. On one occasion, the mother woke up to a woman's figure standing over her husband. 
She had red eyes. She said she yelled out and that figure disappeared. What? Many times we would hear sounds walking around the second floor by the sister's bedroom, but no one would be up there. Other times we would hear the sound of someone bouncing a ball against the wall, but again, no one would be there. The light on the stairs leading to the second floor would flicker or shut off by itself. On another occasion, her uncle, who was visiting, had gone upstairs to use the bathroom, and when he came back, he asked us who the girl in the bedroom was. Oh my gosh. There was no one upstairs. My friend, her sister, and I were all in the living room. Her parents were in the kitchen. There was not a single person on that floor, but he insisted that there was a girl in the sister's room. Her back was facing him. She was wearing a black dress, and she was staring at the corner of the wall in front of her. That is such a freaky image. No, thank you. Oh my God, if I were the sister, I would have been so pissed. I'd be like, why are you telling me this? (laughs) I'm supposed to go to bed tonight? Hell no. How could you ever sleep in that room again? We're having a sleepover, sister. (laughs) Forever. For the rest of my life. Yes. I did that to my brother. I watched E.T. and then I moved into his bedroom for 10 years. So (laughs) thanks, Christian. (laughs) (laughs) Now to my experience. Because they seem to find the upstairs rather creepy. Both girls tend to stay in the living room most nights. There we go. One night after drinking, we all crashed at their house. I stayed on a futon while my friend and her sister ended up sleeping on the couches, one on each. Now, to kind of paint a picture, the futon was located in what most families would have made into a dining room, but my friend and her family kind of liked to hoard a little bit, and they had boxes and a china closet in this room, along with a computer desk and a family computer, and in order to get to the kitchen, you had to walk through this room, meaning you had to pass me, passed out on the futon. I've always been very aware of my surroundings, and I tend to wake up at the smallest sound. This morning, I woke up to hearing her mom in the kitchen making coffee. She came in. She made fun of us for being so hungover, smelling of alcohol. She sat down at the computer table a couple of feet from my head to check her Facebook. Farmville was still going strong. And at this point, I had to turn myself so that my back was to the computer. I was laying down to go back to sleep when I felt someone put their hand on my thigh. I felt the burning heat of someone's full-grown adult hand on my thigh. Oh. To which, although I was scared shitless, I jokingly called out to my friend's mom asking her if she was getting frisky with me. Oh. My friend who was still on the couch laughed and her mom said, what are you talking about? (laughs) I asked her why she was touching my leg and she said, you wish. (laughs) I said, no, seriously, are you touching my leg? She said, no, I can't reach it from here. As she said this, I slowly felt the hand rise from my leg and disappear like nothing had happened. Oh! I turned over quick thinking that she was messing with me, and she wasn't. She was nowhere near me. She was at the computer. My friend was still on the couch watching old school Saturday morning cartoons. In a matter of seconds after I turned around and realized this, a loud slam at the kitchen back door. It was so loud and so hard that the chimes on the door flew off and hit the floor. I swore it sounded like pots and pans crashing to the kitchen floor tile. In the time we jolted up to see what would do that, we heard the same slam at the front door, the other end of the house by the living room, and the chimes on that door flew off too. So hard and so fast that they also went flying onto the floor, where we heard a loud thud on the carpet. Her father ran to the front door, opening it, ready to scream at the kids playing outside. He was sure that it was one of the sister's asshole friends, but there was no one. No one running down the street, no one on the porch, no one in the park, a house over. Couldn't even blame it on the train that was right behind the house because no train came by, nothing. I can still feel that hand, the warmth, the pressure, and it freaks me out. Oh my gosh. 
we later realized that it might have been something following the sister. She was dark, always had a dark cloud over her, always brought negative feelings with her. Most of the activity happened around her, and she tended to be the only one open to it, and seemed to welcome it as well. She taunted it, played with it, and we found out that at one point she'd even drawn a ring circle on one of her room walls as a joke. Thankfully, I'm no longer associated with that family and that negative energy. Although I have not yet experienced anything since those early high school days, I do want to thank you ladies for your ideas about keeping safe. The mental wrapping a ribbon or string around you from head to toe is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Love you all. XOXO L. Uh, I was going to say that whole time I was like, why do you keep staying at this house? Like, why are you spending so much time here? So I'm glad that she eventually just like stopped going. I mean, when it's your best friend, you're just like, heck yeah. And then the whole family, I guess if there's like four people around you, it it seems a little less scary if other people aren't freaking out as much. I guess. But at the same time, I don't know. I wouldn't be able to sleep. I don't know. I would be like, let's have a sleepover at my house instead. Yeah. The fact that things happen in daylight, like it is morning and everybody's in the same, like within 15 feet of each other in the room and still something happens. I know. I feel bad though for that sister because it sounds like that house was terribly haunted and it sounds like a lot of activity happened in her room. Like clearly her and her other sister were like really afraid of it to the point where they slept downstairs on the couches for many of the nights. Like it makes me wonder if at some point, like It just got so exhausting that she just like gave in to the spirits or like just wanted to know what they were doing and like why they were targeting her rather than her being like, I'm going to open up and invite them all in. Right. It makes you wonder kind of like the transition to into what may have been just her being scared to her no longer having the power to control the way that she responds to it. Also, from the description of that, what the dining room was, it sounds like they had a lot of furniture some old pieces maybe maybe pieces with some attachments to it that who knows where they came from creepy it sounds like there's a bunch of different spirits there too because like a girl in a black dress like just staring at the wall i don't know that just seems that just seems freaky right sounds like the ring it sounds like the freaking ring and then the noises of like people walking or bouncing a ball that's just like i don't know that doesn't seem too scary that's not too nefarious that's just someone fooling around upstairs but then this the hot large hand the slamming of doors like throwing chimes to the ground like so aggressive the woman standing over her husband like in the middle of the night someone in the bathroom like there's so much terrifying stuff happening oh there's clearly multiple spirits there and i feel like there's only one good one and then a bunch of bad ones yeah it does kind of remind me of the house that I grew up in. It feels like very similar to it. Ooh, creepy. So creepy. Ooh. Did your brother ever talk about the things that happened to him? Or does he really remember them? No, he does not remember them. And he also, I think because they're all stories that we've just told him, he's not as open to the paranormal. Because mm, the memories don't really belong to him. Right. They belong to all of you guys. Yeah. And he's probably scared, like many of us are. My dad did not like hearing about ghost stories growing up, so we stopped telling him. And then the other day, we were all, when we were together in Vermont, like quarantining there, we all started talking about all the ghost stories again. And he was like, why didn't you tell me this? I never heard that one, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, because you didn't want to hear them. So we never told you. We didn't keep telling you them. You didn't want to hear them. It is better to hear about it after the fact rather than like the when it's when you're living in it. True. True. <laughs> Oh, I love ghost stories. They make me so sweaty. Very spooky. Okay. 
I have a story from Austin and it's called The Demon Game. In episode 108, you girls asked for some stories about games. Well, here's mine. The Demon Game was less of a game and more of a prank that my sister and I came up with. We played almost every time either one of us had any friends over. It was a pretty simple game. It started with me suggesting that we hold a seance. I would then make us all gather around into a circle and hold hands. I would close my eyes and begin speaking to the spirits. And this was usually me just making up a story about how a person had died. And my sister would drop her hands that she was holding and stand up. Then it was up to her to pretend to be possessed. Usually this involved growling and snarling and lashing out at whoever came close to her. The piece de resistance was when I would run up to her and she would throw her hands out and I would jump backwards like I was being thrown by an invisible force. Then we would usually dissolve into laughter and reveal that it was all a joke. This is all well and good until the stories I began telling started coming from someone else. They were being implanted into my head and my sister began to change. Her temper would grow out of control and she started to lash out at everyone for the smallest things even going as far as to smack me across the face for asking about her schoolwork. I started to grow afraid of my little sister. And it all came to a head when my parents were hosting a Bible study. I was in charge of watching the kids, so I pulled out the demon game. And my sister seemed all for it. So we sat down, and I began to tell a story. And the story came to me from another voice. It was planted in my mind, but I had no choice. I felt like I had to tell it. It was this horrible story about a woman who abused her kids. And in my mind, I saw the images of the horrified looks on these kids' faces. Yet I couldn't stop. The words kept pouring out of me. Then suddenly, with a laugh, my sister stood up and stormed out of the room. And the story stopped coming into my head. I followed my sister, and I found her sitting on my bed. I asked her what was wrong. How could you ruin the game like that? And she looked up at me, and I took half a step back. Her face was devoid of emotion. She looked like a blank canvas. No light behind her eyes. And then she smiled and asked what was wrong. I told her I needed her help watching the kids, and she couldn't sulk around my bedroom all day. She stood up, looked me right in the eyes, and before I knew it, she pulled out a wooden pencil and stabbed it right into my palm. (gasps) I stared at her, and she seemed to be bored, like the whole situation meant nothing to her. And when my parents found out, she was sent to her room. But that night, she was rushed to the hospital, because out of the blue, she complained of her side hurting. The doctor said that a harmful bacteria had grown in her large intestine and she might not make it. Our pastor rushed to the hospital to pray for her, and I wouldn't learn until years later that as soon as he started praying, my sister let out a massive shriek that was guttural, and she passed out. Oh my god, ooh! You know, for someone who's sweating right now, I have chills. (laughs) To this day, my sister claims not to remember stabbing me with the pencil, and I pray every day that I never see that face devoid of emotion ever again. Okay, that is so incredibly freaky. And it just proves that things are gradual when it comes to... I know. Like, demonic experiences. It's almost like blurring the lines between what is you just getting more into something, your interest increasing, your dedication to a certain game or or what have you, would seemingly be like, oh, they're becoming more obsessed with it. They really, really love it. Or, like, they're just becoming more moody or whatever. But no, it's like this gradual overtaking of what you think is you and control at first. This sentence that I'm saying is just not making sense at all. But you know what I'm trying to say. Well, I think the scariest part is that it started out as this like silly game prank that they would like do around their friends to make them like feel like they were all getting possessed. And it was a joke. 
But the jokes started to turn into something real because when you joke around about demons, they're like, well, let me show you the real thing. It makes me wonder if they were ever in control. Like, is it something that they did for fun, totally of free will, and it attracted darkness? Or was it so subtly implanted into both of their minds that they had no idea that it was ever anyone else's idea except for their own? Oh, I don't know. Just like very, very slowly taking over your body, just like the infection took over her sister. It's literally like... It's so scary. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so creepy. Safer not to play around with those types of things. When Austin said that their sister stabbed them in the hand and just seemed bored by the experience, that I think is the part that freaks me out the most. Because then it's just truly the sister is beyond recognition. Yeah, I mean, clearly... The part that scared Austin the most was not the fact that these messages and images were being like placed into their head, but that that look on Austin's sister's face. Oh, oh my gosh. I wonder what those parents were thinking. And the fact that it all happened during a Bible study, like, oh, come on. This has to be a horror movie. I know it could be. Let's do it. Should we steal Austin's story and write it? (laughs) I was going to say let's team up with Austin, but... Let's steal it instead. (laughs) Can't wait for that lawsuit. Then the demons will come after us. So true. Don't need that. We have to play by the rules. (laughs) Love it. This is so fun. I love birthday episodes. I love every episode. I love every episode too. But birthday episodes is a little extra special because you just, I mean, not that we don't already choose what we want. Yeah. (laughs) It just, it feels like, I don't know, somehow it feels special. (laughs) Everything can feel special during this time because nothing makes sense anymore. I know. Well, what makes sense is this podcast and all you phantoms listening, and we so appreciate it. And if you have any sort of spooky stories, aliens, haunted ships, Bigfoot, weird grandma possession stories, I don't know, like literally anything, bad anything. pipes, anything strange, macabre, paranormal, it doesn't have to be straight ghost stories. We are into it and we want to read it. So email us at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. And there are a variety of ways to support us. It's my birthday, so I have to start with my favorite. Please rate and review us on iTunes. It means so much when I read those and even more when they're good because, yeah, don't give me a bad one. <laughs> yeah. If you want to write them like a dear diary, but dear Sabrina, I'm sure that would be. Uh, that would be well my received. dream. Very well received. Uh, you can also support us by purchasing merch or donating on Patreon. Just as a little note, due to COVID, a lot of delivery services are taking longer than usual, as well as our fulfillment site is taking longer than usual to fulfill orders. So please be patient with us. We are trying to get your orders to you as soon as possible. It's truly out of our hands. We, we do apologize, though. If you're planning on getting something for someone as a gift, probably an eight-week window would be more appropriate for, for allowing eight weeks for shipping times because things are slightly unpredictable and a bit behind. And who knows? Maybe you'll get it in a week. And also, thank you to Max and Eric and everybody at Upfire Digital for taking the sometimes rambling episodes that we give them and turning them into a high quality two girls one coast episode we super appreciate it yeah we appreciate you thank you very much and we will see you on the other side very smooth.